1: Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a triple R show, a podcast about films and TV on the big and small screen. As you can tell by my uh, somewhat altered voice, uh, this is the Primal Screen Halloween special. And I am not your usual host, Fearsome Flick Ford. She is currently away. So I, Petrifying Paul Anthony Nelson, shall be your crypt keeper. And here, broadcasting alongside me in the haunted Triple R Studios, are the director of 30 Miles to Nowhere, now available to stream on Amazon Prime Video, Creepy Caitlin Collar.
0: Oh, thank you. I can also go by Caitlin Killer if you prefer.
1: Yes, (laughs) Caitlin Killer. (laughs) And Actor uh, actor Award-nominated screenwriter, director, musician, and lecturer, Abominable Adam Spellacy. Hello. <laughs> no, I did. I, I, th-
2: I th- thought when you said actor, it's uh, the stupidest acronym ever. Because I thought you were introducing me as an actor. So
1: I thought, hang on, I'm not an actor. I try to say it actor because uh. it's like I refuse to let actors dominate the conversation <laughs> when it comes to local <laughs> award shows. <laughs> um, I did pronounce your name correctly, didn't I? Spell it It'll do. We'll It'll do. do. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, dead, dead right. Ex- excellent. As it's the most wonderful time of the year, we've decided to celebrate all Hallows' Eve by shining our jack-o'-lantern upon the haunted earth of folk horror digging into exactly what folk horror is before unearthing a triple feature of folk horror delights from three different continents that you can program in your own home. We'll head to Italy for Brunello Rondi's The Demon from 1963, which finds a lonely, disturbed young woman persecuted by her entire village who thinks she's a witch, or worse, a vessel for Satan. Then we'll head to America for Avery Crounce's Eyes of Fire from 1983, which sees a ragtag group of white settlers led by a wayward priest who get more than what they bargain for when they trespass onto haunted land, and will end up right here in Australia, suburban Sydney to be exact, with Ian Coglin's Alison's Birthday from 1981, where a young woman finds herself lured back to her family home for a very unusual 19th birthday celebration. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So this is the second Primal Screen episode that I'm aware of that has been inspired by a film documentary. Uh, Sometime last year, we had a focus on female-directed films uh, featured in Mark Cousins' sprawling documentary, Women Make Film. And tonight's show is inspired by, for mine, the very best film documentary of the last five, maybe ten years, Uh, Woodlands Dark and Deep, A History of Folk Horror, directed by film programmer, critic and historian Kayla Janice. Uh, all of the films we'll discuss tonight were featured in that documentary, which you can watch for yourself um, on the horror streaming service Shudder. Um, and it's an incredible deep dive into this peculiar, wide ranging subgenre of film. But if you're out there listening to this and not watching a three hour doco, wondering what the Blazers' folk horror is, Adam. As someone oh, who God. has studied and written extensively upon this subject, you've contributed a chapter to, on Australian folk horror to the upcoming Routledge Companion to Folk Horror, due out next year. Mm-hmm. If you could sum, up, sum it up in 30 seconds or less, that'd be great.
2: Thanks. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting <laughs> genre, folk horror. It's kind of like... Uh, I mean, there are, there are various definitions of it. There's an argument that everything is folk horror. Mm-hmm. And I think' it's, sometimes it's in the eye of the beholder whether a film is folk horror or not i I, I mean I think with null and I is a folk horror film
1: fascinating yeah. um, I, I totally see that but, it,
2: but it's, I think it's often this idea of the, a clash between the old and the new, like ancient stuff and modernity uh, there's you know the whiff of the supernatural in there uh, landscape has got a lot to do with it, which could describe a great many films mm. you know? um, but the best uh the best one of the best definitions um, i've heard of folk horror is uh, from my, a friend of mine david southwell who's an english writer and he said it's folk horror is an active infection of time and place and it's this sort of refusal to use folklore as like tinsel for a story it's like it, it's got to be like integral infrastructure underpinning the story so i think it's you know things that deal with folkloric stuff the kind of effect of la- the, the way landscape can in uh, can affect uh, the people living there, mm. and um, and yeah, some sort of collision between old belief systems and new belief systems. Often a violent clash between those two things, um, and I mean that that describes a great many films. That's my definition. Anyway.
1: I like that, Caitlin. Do you have one? You
0: No, pretty much the same, but usually something to do with religion—either rejecting or, you know, embracing religion of whatever kind and variety, Mm. depending on the country of origin.
1: Yeah, there's also something about, you know, as we said, there's isolation is a big thing in these films—religion, rural environments, the power of nature. There's also these themes of, as well as old and new religions, disturbed land and displaced peoples and there's a there was a Native American uh, commentator in that uh, documentary that said <laughs> basically oh, like everything like everything is folklore in terms of like in America because of the land has been you know colonized and resettled, and all the you know all the stuff that 's coming up from there is you know this sort of um resistance you know this uh this kind of bubbling up revenge and yeah. that 's very true here as well mm, exactly yeah. um
0: yeah, it's a wide genre, just like horror is a wide genre. It's, it, like Adam said, in the eye of the beholder, what is a horror film? What is a folk horror film? It's up to interpretation, I think.
2: What I love about it particularly is it's it's sort of, it's this, it's been described as kind of more of an atmosphere or not even a genre, like a mode or a, a tone. A, a tone, vibe, a t- as a vibe, the kids say. yeah. vibe, yeah. yeah and, it k- and it kind of, the way it Kind of smuggles itself into other genres and and pulls the rug out from under them very gently. I mean, if you think about a film like you know the the um, you know the, the sort of towering monolith that is the wicker man, mm. the first time you ever see that it, it looks like a missing person's police procedural until yes. you know um, crackle 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 at the end
0: um, <laughs> spoilers change
1: <things>, until <laughs> <laughs> things are truly unhinged
0: now. From
1: what I've heard, folk horror is a relatively recent term. Um, apparently first coined in a 1970 documentary by an interviewer uh, or a reviewer discussing the making of director Piers Haggard's Blood and Satan's Claw, um, which is a key work of the subgenre. Um, Haggard would bring up the term when talking about the film in the mid-2000s. And actor-writer Mark Gatiss... Um, would popularize the term in his terrific 2010 documentary series, A History of Horror, which contended that three films, um, particularly from a British perspective, Witchfinder General uh, from director Michael Reeves, The Wicker Man from Robin Hardy, and um, uh, Blood and Satan's Claw, were the foundational texts of the, the British side of, of folk horror. Um, and then it sort of exploded into the UK in the 70s. Like there were tons of British horror films, but Particularly for television. Yeah, a lot of TV. A lot of TV. Um, uh, uh, there's things are uh, uh, the incredible Robin Redbreast, um, which is a recent discovery for me. Um, that's, that's my favourite
2: folk horror film. Isn't it great? It's amazing. It's, so- like, a, it's like a
1: feminist Wicker Man, three years before the Wicker Man. Yeah, movie. and yeah. and from mine better. Um, I yeah, know, I think it's I think it's absolutely not as know, many fun chilling. songs. Not as many fun songs yeah. to sing along. Yeah, see, <laughs> no, I think no. the songs. <laughs> I think Wicker Man could have had a few less fun songs. Or
2: well, maybe no, they can it's maybe it's they can not. get rid of all the maybe they can get rid of all the songs <laughs> in the TV uh, series they're doing
1: of the Wicker Man. Oh. <laughs> no why? Why do we need this? Um, but films like Alan Clark's Pender's Fen, which was quite. A bit of whiplash seeing I'd just seen Scum about uh, a couple of months earlier and to go from directing <laughs> Scum, directing Pendous Fen you're like, wow, how is this the same person? Uh, quite, a f- But also quite a few of the ghost stories for Christmas. Yeah. Which is a series of, um, my partner and I have been watching over the last few Christmases. Um, and the folk horror themes, um, those are mainly adapted from the works of M.R. James and they're kind of sowing the terror of what lies beneath rural English English Yeah,
2: cursed objects that sort of... Follow, you know, the the people that disturb them and carry carry the power of the land within them. Exactly, yeah,
1: yeah that have literally buried mm. the, these displaced objects, um, and and even finding their way into British uh, British children's TV. Uh, there were you know, folk themes running throughout uh, uh, them as well. Um, but as as we've said before, and mentioning Australia as well, virtually any country with ancient religious traditions or displaced indigenous people assaulted by colonialism has a healthy cinematic. And literary tradition of of forms of, of folk horror, whether they called it that or not, but I was just kind of yeah alarmed. The f- it's a relatively new term.
2: Well, yeah, and I think I've been a fan of folk horror my entire life. I just didn't know it. There mm-hmm. wasn't a word to describe. I just thought I was a fan of really eclectic, weird movies. But it turns out <laughs> there's this umbrella term that kind of pulls them all together and and defines them a little bit. And it was quite a road to Damascus epiphany moment when I first discovered folk horror, which wasn't wasn't via any of those uh, i think from me and a lot of people that uh, sort of have become scholars of folk horror the the um it was actually an article uh by the music journalist rob young in 2010 edition of sight and sound called the films of old weird britain
1: yeah is and that it, weird spelt w y no no just
2: w- yeah. w-e-i-r-d yeah, um yeah. and it was without using the term folk horror he's kind of describing this undercurrent in a lot of British films of, uh, you know, it's quite, they're quite disparate. But, and I think me and a whole lot of other people just sort of went, huh. And I think then the hunt was sort of on to, to kind of define it in some way. Yeah. But if you can find that article, it's really interesting. It doesn't mention folk horror at all, but it, he's just talking about folk horror.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's all about folk horror. What's your experience with this uh, sort of genre?
0: Um, I think... I got into it mostly from Ben Wheatley's Kill List, which was one of my first films that really, I think, got me hooked on folk horror. It's a movie that really takes a turn halfway through, and if you haven't seen it, I'm trying not to spoil
1: it. Yeah, boy howdy does it.
0: (laughs) But um, I'm a really big fan of those movies that kind of pull the rug out from under you in terms of changing genre halfway through, like From Dust Till Dawn. Yes, one of my favourites. Yeah, Kill List, things like that. So um, I think that... Yeah, setting up that thriller aspect and then swapping it for folk horror was really, um, opened my eyes to the genre, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I guess it's all that it's, it's a community, isn't it? It's a yeah, it's and he dipped into folk horror a few times, like a field in England, which is a very strange movie, um, and uh, in the earth, which I've not yeah. seen, or which he was his COVID movie, and
0: potentially you could say sightseers in a oh, way, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, you could, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: he's, he's been mining that vein pretty And you, <laughs> pretty c- you could
2: also say high-rise because there's this other kind of tributary of folk horror which is kind of urban weird, which is the idea of uh, non-rural folk horror where it's folk horror, is the, folk horror that's based in the city and sort of looking at the, you know, degeneration of, of uh, civilization mm-hmm. or, or the buried layers of history that lie underneath any, any city.
1: Particularly a city that's tried to build over them yeah. and bury them as something, uh, yeah, uh, uh, wanting to wanting to rise. Um, awesome. So hopefully that's cleared it up a little for you <laughs> listeners. Uh, I know my, my, my partner and I were very confused, like, watching some of this, like, exactly if all of these are folk horror, then everything. It was like the Incredibles argument, you know. Yeah, every, everything is folk horror. <laughs> yeah, everyone. <laughs> everyone is special. No one is. Um, so now, listeners, please join us uh, for our first film of the evening. <laughs> The Power of Christ compels you <laughs> <laughs> The Demon or Il Demonio from 1963 was the second feature film directed by Brunello Rondi who was a frequent screenwriting collaborator with Federico Fellini uh, in a rural Italian village from the early 1960s that may as well be the early 1900s, Purificata, played by Dalia Lavi, is a lonely, sexually uninhibited young woman obsessed with Antonio, uh, played by Frank Wolf, who presumably had an affair with Purificata but is now engaged to be married to another woman. We meet her placing a curse on him, and as, he conti- as she continues to loudly curse and vent her frustrations, her small-minded, deeply religious village regard her as a harlot at best, a menace at worst – so she's sent to the local religious leaders, who are no help at all and seem to just, well, kind of feel her up. Um, when Purificata starts hearing voices and having visions, things get very precarious for her indeed. Caitlin, as a woman who often communes with the Dark Lord Satan, <laughs> how did you find this horror examination of a woman in trouble?
0: I mean, only on weekends. For a little bit. <laughs> um, I found it great. I thought that it was, compared to the other two movies for tonight, it's really interesting that you can see il demonio as a movie that is either very magical or not magical at all Mm. and the way in which the story unfolds is kind of the story of a woman who has deep mental illness and it's being pushed by this community that has such deep superstitions kind of mixed in their religion in a way that pushes her over the edge into madness and apart from the fact that she sees that young boy that could be mm. could could or not be magical or could be some kind of schizophrenic uh, vision she really doesn't have anything magical happen to her and if anything it's just yeah um, the town pushing those buttons and sending her mad
1: yeah it's there's a very it's like basically a, a profoundly mentally ill woman in a village that has no facility with which to treat it. Like no ability, no, like no intention to treat it. Just this is demonic. This is, this is evil.
0: Let's just throw religion at it and hope it goes away.
1: Which happened to so many women <laughs> throughout the centuries. 100%. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Adam?
2: It, it sort of feels like she's kind of at the end of her tether when the film begins though. I mean, I don't know that she's profoundly mentally ill. I don't know whether it's the... the, I feel like the film is a really interesting thing about the power of belief to influence human behaviour, whether that's religion or superstition. It's also very kind of critique of... Patriarchy, mm. but what I loved about it, it was kind of like a neo-realist folk horror yes. film. It looked like an early Pasolini film, like The Gospel According to Saint Matthew. Absolutely,
1: and in my notes I have like The Exorcist directed by Vittorio De Sica. Yeah, that's,
2: <laughs> that's great. I mean, and you know, I mean, Brunello Rondi has serious form as a screenwriter. He yeah. wrote Eight and a Half and you know La Dolce Vita and La Strada and all the big Fellini films. But um, I I liked the fact that yeah, like you were saying, Caitlin, it's not really there's nothing supernatural going on necessarily. It's sort of a, a an example of folk horror where the horror comes from human sources. Yes, where it's the folk who provide the horror, and that that was very much what I liked about it. That it it, it was just you know a film about superstition and Christianity as a force to repress women. Yeah, you know, like, and, and a force to repress female desire as being like a sickness. I think that was the mm. thing that she was sickest of.
1: <laughs> and and men benefiting from that. And also women, other women being wrapped up in that system as well. Like there's that scene where all the the old, old, old women start beating her.
2: Well, it's the, yeah, it's it's the, and like, that's a very folk horror thing though, the idea of the mob and mm. the, the mob ganging up on the individual uh, and just sort of driving them to, to despair. It's um, I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, the witch as a film that's about kind of patriarchy trying yeah. to find kind of a scapegoat for its failings
0: mm-hmm. but it doesn't
2: have the redemptive kind of hopeful wonderful liberated ending that that the witch does it's just no like it really horrible.
0: doesn't but i mean it's a powerhouse performance by Dahlia oh, and she's so incredible, and she puts her whole heart and soul into it. I think that she really loses herself, and yeah. the fact that she was a dancer as well, like a ballerina, you can tell from. I mean, that backbend spider walk that was I think a it's decade a earlier a Hurricane than a... Hurricane <laughs> Billy Friedkin might yeah, have seen. That. Might have seen that. Um, yeah, it's it's hypnotizing, honestly. Uh,
1: yeah, I, you're right. It's it's like Isabella Jarni in I Possession. Was, level. that's that's what it reminded me of? Yeah. In, in places, just that really sustained
2: kind of mania. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, incredible, incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, stunning performance. Like, yeah, for someone I'd, I, I wasn't familiar with her work, I was just like you, Caitlin. I was just floored by
2: She's it. She's a Vogue model and a pop star. And yeah, she had, she had a massive, crazy career. all sorts of things.
0: Yeah. Know. Spoke multiple languages, just a very talented individual. Yeah,
1: could do it while walking like a, you know, backward like a spider. <laughs> um, it's it, it, The other filmmaker I was re, like thought of here was Lars von Trier. Like, there's almost oh, yeah. a Lars von Trier sense as well. Like, there's – I think it has this real sense of empathy towards um, towards uh, Purificata um, even has – but but it also doesn't shy away from the reality of this village is putting her through hell. Yeah. And it sort of was almost like that kind of Golden Heart trilogy sort of yeah. um, story. And and as you say, the, the horror really comes from that suffocatingly yeah, patriarchal village. And, yeah, like the, when they send it to Uncle Giuseppe and he just sort of – puts his hands down the top, and it's like, what the Um, hell is this?
2: (laughs) I mean, it was really interesting. I thought – I mean, until – there's a scene – there's a moment right at the beginning of it where uh, she goes to the church, and until that priest turns around and he's got, like, modern bifocals on, you feel like the film is set, like, 200 years ago. It's kind of like this idea that this – these traditions and these superstitions and this history is just eternal. It's been – this this village has not evolved
1: uh, at all. I was stunned by that too. those guys in sunglasses. This guy looks like they've yeah. off a Pasolini set, <laughs> you know. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, this is modern day. And yeah. it's quite jarring. Um, yeah, it's um, – and as you say, she was just tw- – uh, D- uh, Dalia Lavi was just 20 at the time. Wow. She, uh, which is an incredibly sophisticated um, performance. Um, yeah, I, I also found the, the cinematography by uh, Carlo Bellero, who I've not really, I, I looked him up, and there's, there's not too many huge works um, that he's done, which is crazy, because the cinematography in this is it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know, like, uh, it surprises me this is the highest profile film he ever seemed to work on, because this is world-class stuff and maybe Severin's beautiful blu-ray is doing a lot of the heavy lifting there <laughs> but it's yeah it looks stunning um yeah but no i was really floored by this
0: yeah i really particularly liked the scene um when they had the ritual with all of the um old branches that they were taking to the main town square and just all of those people just with the like truly haggard faces it just felt so real and so frightening to be purificated yeah
1: yeah among that um and is it the burn the air yeah burn the air yeah and she yeah she's and particularly her being so strikingly beautiful as well compared to everyone else in this village I really sets apart the
2: environment's really rocky it's this sort of rocky harsh kind of dry environment all these dried cracked faces yeah it's such a such an amazing contrast
1: um I, I've I've got to admit to being absolutely baffled as to why she was obsessed with Antonio. I'm like, come on, you can do so much better than this. Just get out of this village. Believe me, the world is an open door. For... <laughs> get some help. Get a nice therapist. Honey, come on, yeah, honey, come on, get a nice therapist. Get out of the village. <laughs> yeah. Um, any any other thoughts on the on the tournament? <laughs>
2: No, it was really great uh, just being given this homework though because I've I've had that uh, all the haunts be ours yes. the companion sort of box set uh, to Keila Janice's um, Doco and um, so it's such a it'd choke a horse like the thing is yes. massive it's and beautiful. I've just been sort of gradually working my way through it so it's good to sort of like go all right I'm gonna tick off a few of these it was it's was great yeah. yeah loved it. it.
1: Hit a bunch of them, um, yeah, and this has been an absolute um, uh, treat to to wander through some of this stuff, but yeah, no I was i was um, this was because my partner and I do the thing that's become quite popular now among film nerds is to watch 31 horror films in 31 days. I know you're a devotee of, uh, of this, Caitlin. You've got to get on that. You do. It's it's the best. Um, we call it Shocktoberfest. I mean, I right normally now. just do that anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just life, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I
2: take Halloween off. <laughs> <we go. laughs>
1: <laughs> films about puppies. But yeah, um, but this, I, I think The Demon has actually been my number one discovery for the month. I was just absolutely, yeah. I was not prepared for, for, for what this was.
0: Oh, nothing to prepare you for that performance. No, absolutely not. No.
1: So if you want to see uh, an incredible uh, performance, which you won't be prepared for, The Demon is now available to stream on Tubi. So now... Uh, we, we oh, I should say, we previously uh, had a discussion on uh, what is folk horror. We talked about the 1963 Italian uh, film The Demon, and now we're going to talk about our second film of New Eyes of Fire, from 1983, was the debut feature film by director Avery Crowns. Set in 1750 on the American frontier, an egotistical preacher is caught sleeping with two women, one of whom is married with two daughters, the other is a strange young woman who doesn't speak but seems to commune with nature. Uh, He is almost executed for it, but when his life is spared under strange circumstances, he, the women, the daughters, and the preacher's more ardent followers are ejected from their township. When the man's husband, uh, when the woman's husband, I should say, uh, a trapper fluent in many tribal languages, returns from another of his lengthy times away to find his wife and daughters gone, he follows them, finding them, for all intents and purposes, paddling up shit creek without a paddle, being hunted by Native American Shawnee tribes defending their land. To escape, the settlers make the decision to detour through a stretch of forest that even the Shawnee fear to wander into, plunging them into a world of surreal happenings and sights and sounds beyond imagining. Adam, did this doomed trip upriver by a bunch of clueless white people have you seeing the forest for the trees? It's uh,
2: this is like one of those films that the. Oh, this is one of those films that the term folk horror was kind of invented for because it's this kind of you know crazy, unruly kind of outlier movie, but it, um, it when you class it as folk horror, it, it kind of makes makes sense. Yeah, um, and you know, and now now that. Kind of folk horror has become a more recognised term. You sort of see films that are made with a much more self conscious awareness. And the problem with folk horror, I think, is that it can become really predictable. <laughs> midsummer, um, <laughs> uh, but this any thing...
1: crack at Ariaster is fine with me. Okay, good, 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 good. We're all on the same page.
2: Um, Can't be out, jeez. Oh, okay. Um, but it reminded me. It's it's a really strange film. I found it. I think maybe I'm just a bit too conventional. Because t- I'm a screenwriter, like you know, I think in terms of like conventional narrative, and it was really hard to work out whose film this was. Like it kept mm-hmm. shifting points of view, uh, it keeps shifting modes. Like it starts out a little bit like uh, The Witch in a way, then it goes a bit all uh, Aguirre: The Wrath of God for a while. Yes, exactly what I
0: was thinking. And then it just
2: becomes this like then it becomes a real uh, proper sort of head s- head movie, like yeah. a psychedelic head movie, like a field in England or something, where they're trapped in the landscape and and then everything's exploding at the end. Um, it gets th- I've heard
1: th- Lucio Fulci uh, referenced as well. It's like Lucio Fulci without the gore.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it sort of reminded me a lot of uh, the sort of writing of Algernon Blackwood, particularly his story The Willows, which is kind of one of those folk horror texts where some guys are travelling downriver and they get stuck on this island and all these weird supernatural things start happening. Or Arthur Macken, uh, his story The a lot of his stories deal with sort of people going out into the wilderness and come, encountering these weird, you know, strange beings that, that do crazy stuff. So it, had, it was definitely kind of folk horror to me, but God, it was mad. It was like crazy. It's sort of lynching in places as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: Are you talking about the monster, Adam?
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That looked like the woman, the, the person at the back of the...
0: At the back
1: of
2: Winkies. The Winkies, yeah. 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 yeah,
0: that's
2: what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it's it's that kind of what we're talking about, the kind of colonial folk horror, that, that kind of idea of the pioneering. Like a Western folk horror is a really nice, really rich, fertile kind of potential yeah. for for a film. I, I, I was entertained by it. It was, it was kind of brilliant. One of those films that's brilliant and then really silly at the same time. Yes. I kind of love films like that that are a bit of a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> With moments of genius, yeah. yeah. Kate,
0: I, f- I felt like... Um the parts where they're in the fort that they find, like the housing, it kind of felt like a zombie movie almost because there were mm. – it was like an outside force that's coming for them. They've got lots of internal conflicts, politics going on and it's not just that outside force that's the ominous. It's the when are they going to split
1: up. So it goes, goes all dawn of the dead for a bit. Right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're like yeah. recreating a little society in there as well. They've exactly. assigned roles of who's – Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's those internal politics that are tearing the group apart just as much as the outside forces that might be magical, mysterious folk horror that are coming for them. So I liked it from that point of view. I also love the mud people and the the faces in the trees really gets me. It reminds me of, like, The Guardian, like, Mm. Freakins, The Guardian. I I, I did get a druid
1: vibe from this film. And whether all I know about druids is from will he the guardian or not i don't know but i like druids the trees it's all connected it's like yeah it sort of felt like that but didn't doesn't, doesn't really acknowledge that like it tries to almost tie it into because it's interesting they keep saying like the guy that's a mason the guy that's sort of leading them is sort of saying that they're no they're not they're not what they call indians you know quote mm. unquote like yeah you know, they're not native americans they're not they're like he doesn't know what these people are which is interesting. And the film kind of keeps it very vague.
2: And even the Native Americans know not to yeah. go there, so don't go there.
0: Yeah, with all of the feathers that they have around that area, yeah. which also almost gave me, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes. Yes. Of like, a stay away, this is an evil place.
2: And it's also a bit Blair Witch, isn't it? It's like it's – yeah, there's so much going on. It's a really tasty – it's a meal of a film.
0: Oh, yeah. And even the um, scything <clears throat> point where – kind of references Blood on Satan's Claw with the corpse that's in the earth that's dug up. Like. Yes,
1: yeah. It's it's funny. It's, uh, I think because I was a lot like you, Adam, I found this baffling. <laughs> um, like I I loved some of the visual touches of it. And like you say, Kate, Caitlin, the faces in the trees and that weird, you know, uh, winkies looking thing with the light-up eyes and the cat face and all this sort of thing. Like uh, – and um, – so like there's one of the uh, the beast, kind of the main monster that's under the ground. It looks like it stepped out of Legend or something, mm. you know. And it's got this great sort of look, but the characters are it's, it's hard to kind of hang your hat on anybody. And it's kind of it's very messy. Now it should be said that this Eyes of Fire is a severely cut film. Right. There is another version on the Blu-ray called Crying Blue Sky that's 30 minutes longer. Oh. So, I don't this is like did I enjoy the the film enough to go in and watch a 30 minute longer version? Oh,
0: I definitely will. You definitely <laughs> yeah, will. Yeah, I
2: definitely will as well. I yeah. think well, it, it was funny if, if there's a longer version of it, but I found that it, it felt like they were like trying to make up for a lack of
0: footage by repeating what's. Yes. I found it
2: got really repetitive. Extremely maybe that, repetitive. Maybe that's deliberate, but yeah, uh, that's. I wonder if it's more repetitions just, of those shots.
0: I just found like it was dream logic and just yeah. reminding yeah, yeah, you of the yeah, yeah. same thing over and over again, and it like lulled you into this sense of foreboding without having too strong a character arcs, and I got into that like 100%. Uh,
2: yeah, totally. And, I mean, you know, it's always good to just surrender to a, what a film is, not what you're expecting it um, to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, as a as a, of our David Lynch fan, who finally kind of, who always admired Lynch but really found that the unlocking moment, I need to just let them wash over mm-hmm. me. And then after that it's like, oh, now I can tune into Lynchland and it's great. Um, maybe I need to do some of that here. Sounds like you really dug the vibe. I
0: really did. And I really love the creature design as well yeah. and the visuals around the ghosts or whatever of the past that the evil evil witch from the forest is conjuring up. I just love that doubling of photography on top of the film stock, yeah. the drawing, the yeah. negative effects. It all adds to that dreamy sense where you just can't escape.
2: I love when a film has its kind of own special effects. like They don't look like special effects mm. from any other movie. It's like they've just bespoke their own weird kind of... Vision. I also miss the other thing I was thinking about while I was watching it is I miss how good every film made in the 80s looks.
0: Yes. Like that really
2: bold lighting choices. Like just, they're not afraid of just painting in big, bold strokes. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything now is blue. You know, yeah, but, but it really just... is blue. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is blue. You know, like, uh, James I was, Cameron mm, a fe- feast...
0: Twilight, anybody? <laughs> yeah, I was just feasting
2: on how beautiful it, it looks.
1: Like... It is that thing, though. Watching a lot of films in the 80s and 90s now, you, you really get that sense that we didn't know how good we had it. No. Because you watch it like programmers now, and they look so slick, and they look so... Like, the real work has been put into it. Yeah, the... even
0: 80s B-movies. Yeah.
1: The horror films just look sensational.
0: And I even think... Um we kind of get hung up too much on like motivated lighting these days. Yes. Like there are just scenes in this that have like red
1: and green f- yes. filters yeah, over so. it. And
0: it's <laughs> like, is that natural? Who cares? It looks, it looks beautiful.
1: Great. Red blasting through doors. Where is that coming from? I don't know. Who cares? Probably the, the, the nether, you know, uh, netherworld <laughs> or something. There's, there's lots of, yeah, there, there's also some very goofy effects in this too. Like there's like things, people exploding and things like that. It's, <laughs> it's very kind of, it is, it's a wild ride. I, I would say I didn't really dig it myself, but I think it's... I am intrigued to see the longer version, to see if it does make any more sense. But also, it is... You're both absolutely right. The the visuals in this film are quite stunning. I think the other thing, too, is there is a a lot of the performances feel a little community theatre. Yeah. And I think that sort of brings it down a little bit, too. I think I could probably go with it a lot more if the performances or the characters were more engaging, then I'd be less... Into what does all this, what does all this mean? But the the makeup effects, like the actual craft here, and apparently this was a two and a half million dollar movie, which for a nineteen eighty three indie is quite decent.
0: Yeah, well wow. definitely. Uh,
1: I'm stunned to know where they got the money from. But um, but you really see it up on the screen here, and that's and that's one of the most impressive reasons to see this and why I think, I think if you're if you're down for something a little off the beaten track and a little weird and want to you know, maybe take an edible or something and let this wash over Yeah, around. I wish I'd
2: been drunk <laughs> or on something when I watched it. I again. feel like yeah.
1: this would might become your new favourite movie. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> with nature spirits and uh, tree creatures and
0: explosions, just ex- for the hell of it. <laughs> Exploding, A lot of people. explosions.
1: <laughs> yes. It's a wild ride. So, Eyes of Fire is now streaming on Shudder. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Adam Spellacy. Caitlin, Caitlin Collar, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson, and just prior to our sponsor announcements, you heard Myrna's theme, uh, which is uh, music and lyrics by Ian Coglin, um, the singer of which is mysteriously uncredited on the film and has uh, the not even the internet seems to know who it is. So, if you have any leads on this, please let us know. Um, but that song opens the third film that we'll be reviewing in tonight's focus on Focus. How Friday. is
0: it? <laughs> you have to get away, away from them before 19th birthday. They want you for murder. Don't let
1: them take you. Allison's birthday. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. That was for you, Carl. Allison's Birthday from 1981 was the only feature film directed by Ian Coghlan. Alison, played by Joanne Samuel of Mad Max fame, is a regular 16-year-old kid in late 70s Sydney. Going to high school, she listens to Cold Chisel, has seances with her girlfriends. But this seance quickly turns serious as a disembodied male voice emanates from her female friend, warning Alison not to go home for her 19th birthday party. And deadly as said friend is killed. Three years later, as her 19th birthday approaches, Alison has moved away from home to a country town, working in a record shop, when her beloved aunt and uncle, played by Brooke Bunny and John Bluthel, called to see whether she'll be coming home for the party they've organised for her. Not wanting to disappoint her family, but spooked by that deadly warning three years earlier, she's not sure if she wants to return, so her boyfriend, local radio DJ Pete, played by Lou Brown, offers to drive Alison down there and look out for her, so she agrees to do it. But once they arrive, Alison's aunt and uncle are almost immediately possessive of her attention and Pete is made to feel decidedly unwelcome. And then there's the bizarre stone garden out the backyard, the part Alison's never been allowed to venture into, the one with the scale model of Stonehenge in it. Just what do they have planned for Alison's birthday? Caitlin, this, did this give you flashbacks to teenage sleepover seances with the gal pals? You know it. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew it. <laughs>
0: you know watching jawbreaker and then (laughs) getting into some seances um yeah i love the start of this movie i think it's a really strong start and it really grips you so that the middle which is a lot more brooding and takes its time spooling out that story really gets you to that final final scene that is devastating yeah devastating ending um yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I originally saw it because Bryony Kidd, who runs uh, yes. Strange With My Face Film Festival and is a filmmaker in her own right, she recommended it to me based on a script that I was writing at the time with my partner, Phil. Oh, nice. And um, as just like something that's Australian, something that was on trend for what we were writing. And yeah, it blew my mind. I hadn't heard of it before. And then when it came out on this box set, I was just so thrilled that I could throw out my trashy DVD yes, and grab yeah, myself yeah. a blue of it.
1: I, I feel like um, before this box set, when you say when and anyone would say Alison's birthday to me, I would think of Briney Kid. I feel like Next of Kin and Alison's Birthday are two films that she's almost per, like she should get distribution fees <laughs> <laughs> for, for those movies because she's such a evangelist for both of those films. Both Is that great. how
0: you saw it first, Paul?
1: Um, no, I saw it first this week for oh, this.
0: How exciting for you! And what a treat!
1: Yeah, I was thrilled. I, I enjoyed the hell so, out of this.
0: Oh both uh, of you! What a treat!
1: I know. Yeah, I I I thought um. It's yeah, like you say, it has an absolutely killer opening. Um It's a
2: great pre credit seance. It's a really good seance sequence. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, and it starts off very innocuous and almost kind of silly until it gets very much not and you're <laughs> you're very kind of unnerved by it. And then yeah, I i like I liked the characters. I liked Allison, I liked I, I really liked Pete, although his a lovely kind of, you know, foil and um the uh aunt and uncle were suitably creepy. Um but, yeah, as it, and it's sort of – it's interesting Channel 7 were one of the financiers and it does seem – and apparently it didn't have much of a cinema life here. It mainly screened on television. Like, I think it might have premiered in, in cinemas and then um, quickly went to TV because um, it does have sort of like an early 80s kind of movie sort of feel mm. to it almost. Um,
2: and all the actors are kind of television actors yeah, for the yeah. most part.
1: Yeah. Um, and there's a few recognisable faces in there as well as – uh, Bluefall and Samuel and Bunny Brook. There's Belinda Gilpin and, and um, various others. Um, you know,
2: you know, who I was most excited by in this film who? is seeing Lisa Piers, who um, plays Sally, uh, Peter's um, you know ex occult yes uh, astrologer uh, friend. Astrologer <laughs> yeah. friend. Yeah, she was the played the title character in uh, this show that I'm obsessed with, a sci-fi show that the ABC made in 1976 called Andra. And it's one of those lost shows where it's just been completely erased. And she was the... When she was 16, I think, she was in that film. And you only see the odd little uh, image of her. Right. Um, And there she was. And
1: it was really exciting. Wow. She would have been coming off Andra, like, for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not long after. Um, yeah, I, yeah. No, I just and like you. I think it builds up its dread really well. There's lots of fun chase scenes in this movie. Definitely. <laughs> There's one where he, he tries to pole vault over a fence. That's like that rivals the sort of stunts in Mad Max <laughs> yeah. to me. with yeah. a pitchfork. Sorry. I yeah, I had an absolute ball with this film. And yeah, as you say, when you get to the ending of the ending, is a gut punch. It's yeah, it's 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 a, it's a real. Hidden gem, this one. What did you think, Adam? I
2: really, uh, I really liked it. It made me very nostalgic for yes. the good old days of sort of chunky transistor radios and uh, death trap mini mokes and four digit <laughs> phone numbers dialed on a rotary phone,
1: <laughs> and bottles of clam. Because I can
2: remember all that stuff. Yes, um, but so... you know, and, and then seeing like Bunny Brook, who you know was the fixture on Number Ninety Six, and John Bluthal, who I mainly remember from Spike Milligan's sketch comedy show Q. Right. Uh, so For me, I... it's home sweet
1: home, where oh, he played right. the Italian guy. Okay. The, oh, uh, minus
0: Frank from The Vicar of Dibley. Ah, uh-huh. yeah, right, of course,
2: <laughs> of course. But it's, I mean, it's it's great. It's got this kind of like suburban Australian rosemary's baby vibe. Yes, you know, it's got a, it's got the you know the quirky cultists, the complicit doctor, the um, you know giving you a secret potion dressed up as some nice dessert, hot chocolate thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's have some hot chocolate.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and I, I like how it sort of. <laughs> When she goes, there, now, don't go past the stone fence in the backyard, dear. And she goes out there and there's this, I wouldn't say it's a sort of scale model of Stonehenge, it's almost life-size. It's, this <laughs> massive feature, it's a massive feature in the, in the backyard. Um, but I like that idea of, you know, these sort of, like, colonists dragging their, you know, pagan occult customs with them to Australia in this innocuous, just, yeah you know, Sydney beach <laughs> side yeah. I, I I liked it a lot um it's full of really weird like good it really did build its kind of mood of paranoia really well mm. I was a bit I don't know uh, the way um uh, Allison gets a bit sidelined in the middle of the film right. and so, so it becomes mm. the Peter show and she becomes a bit of a damsel that yes. that was not that was what I think it differs from Rosemary's baby mm. which really holds her perspective throughout and you really feel what she's feeling all the time the paranoia and so it loses that I think it loses a bit of whatever it's Built yeah.
1: up. I think you're right. That, that was that would be my only real knock on the film: the mm. fact that Alison gets very little to do in the last sort of half hour or so.
2: Yeah, it's a good sort of satanic panic, you know, th- thing, uh, which you know was apparently a thing back in the seventies. Like, yeah, it seventies
1: through the eighties. You know, those you know, heavy metal records. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so you've seen this a couple. So you've seen this a couple of times now.
0: Yeah, I have.
1: And yeah, um, yeah like it, it, what it is it? I'm I'm curious to know what sort of, like in terms of the sort of stuff you were writing, you were interested in, what was sort of the common?
0: Uh, The common theme was um, women transferring souls into one another to live a long life. And so um, that and I got recommended The Skeleton Key, which not being a great film but having that same theme on board was um, really interesting and Alison's birthday is just such a...
2: The way they do that ending is really great because it's quite disorientating. You don't know what's going on for a minute. And then Well, we
1: don't want, it spoiled. Spoiled okay. yeah, but, we don't want to spoil spoil too hard. Spoil too hard because it is a great but, ending. But, but yeah. you
2: know what I love it when uh, you know, having on text sc- yes, on, on
1: screen yes. text. The use where, of that in this when is... you
2: use it. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's total chef's kiss.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean I, I,
2: I think of a few instances of that, like in um Nitram, like the, the, the super that comes on the screen at the end of Nitram about how many guns how there are more guns in Australia now than there were at the time of the Port Arthur massacre. I was the most terrifying thing in that film. Mm. Um, and the Stanford Prison Experiment film, um, I know we're drifting off folk horror, but have <laughs> you seen that film? The, no, no. It's like it just things break down really, really, really fast and it all goes terrible and then uh, suddenly it cuts to black and a super comes on the screen it says day two and you go oh my god all that
0: stuff
1: went south in the first day like, that's great yeah, that's awesome. I love stuff like that
0: <laughs> yeah. I think one of the reasons that I really like Alison's birthday is that for once we don't have a gaslighting boyfriend yes we actually I love have Pete. Pete who is thoughtful listens to Alison it's not one of those we should have listened to the woman
1: <laughs> yeah horror movies yeah. it's actually
0: he does listen he does take on feedback and he says cool I'll be with you I'll look after you in a way that like lets you lead yeah. because he says, if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. And she feels guilty. So she goes, but I, He's yeah.
1: weirdly progressive, right? Like he's all like, yeah, like I'll come with you and look out for you, but he's not going to like be overbearing. He's like, right. you go see if we'll come. So should we do something tomorrow? I'm here if you want me.
0: Right. Or, and even like her telling him about the seance and he doesn't, you know, Oh, did that really happen? Are you sure? Like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's none of that questioning, like slowly nitpicking at a woman's narrative. Yeah. It's actually listening to and taking it on board. And she says, oh, you know, you must think that I'm really weird afterwards. And he said, no, no, like, you know, I've kind of done a little bit of research in this area. Like I don't necessarily believe, but I believe you. Yeah. It's really rare for folk
2: folk horror. Folk horror is quite often, uh, well, I think critiquing, but also depicting sexism. Like Mm. you look at a lot of like Nigel Neal's television stuff, like the Stone Tape and Robin Redbreast and those sort of things. It is about... You know, gaslighting the, yeah. the, the heroine. I mean, even it's critiquing crit- that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: even now with men, which is literally yeah, yeah, really yeah. folk yeah. horror, woman being gaslit the whole time. Mm. by yeah. a, a village of men or one man, depending on.
1: Village of rickoniers, but but yeah, that you're right. There is that. Yeah, because it's often commenting on that entire thing mm. on, on patriarchal systems not listening to women or 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 uh, being or uh, believing del- them, believing them, being deliberately obtuse in order to make them do what they want them to. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's – yeah, I was – I can't tell you how impressed I was with Pete in this movie. I was like, <laughs> this dude's rad. Yeah, no, yeah. a
0: progressive dude from back then. <laughs>
1: yeah. And he's like just some, you know, country town radio guy And can, but can, from can pole city. vault with a pitchfork. Right. To, a into a the bargain, yeah. And clearly has got the ex who's into all this stuff, which yeah. is why he's dialed into it.
0: Hey, he does research. He's He's – you know, oh, driving yeah, a death trap he's all all bad <laughs> yeah.
1: what is that car <laughs> it's a mini, mini moke. is that a, is that what a mini moke
0: actually is
2: yeah means? they were really prevalent in the 70s but yeah if you rolled over in one of them you'd be dead <laughs> like and he whips whips around in the thing as well he like really yeah
0: that's some of those chase scenes you're like I don't know how that's not rolling honestly <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> hold on for dear life Uh, If you want to step at a time machine back to the uh, early 80s in Australia, Alison's Birthday is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video and Shudder. On tonight's special Halloween horror spotlight on folk horror, we reviewed The Demon, now available to stream on Tubi, Eyes of Fire, now streaming on Shudder, and Alison's Birthday, now streaming on Amazon Prime Video and Shudder. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R on demand, or check out the songs we played on the Primal Screen page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you can find your favourite podcasts. Caitlin and Adam, this has been a ball. Thank you both so much for it joining was a me. Blast. It's it's
0: pleasure, pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R.